everybody. Welcome to the Timmy Gibson Show. I've got a special guest, and you'll have to guess what part of the United States he's from as he starts to talk. <laughs> but everybody, I want to welcome Dave Warnock to the Timmy Gibson Show. Hey, good morning. Hey, Timmy. How are good you doing? Good to be here. Yeah, thank you I'm so fine. much for doing this. Yeah. It's the Southern draw. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey, just uh, to introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell us uh, kind of your story and your cliff notes. And of course, we'll dig into it after after you give us kind of a, a little bit about who you are. Yeah, the uh, elevator pitch is uh, if we've got a 25 floor elevator ride, it's um I was an evangelical, charismatic Christian, and for many years, uh, about 35, 36 years, for many of those years, I was on pastoral staff at churches as an associate pastor. I was a Jesus freak back in the 70s, um, conservative evangelical all of my life until about 12, 13 years ago, and I deconstructed that faith um, after several years of questioning and examining my faith and why I believed what I believed and found that I really wasn't uh, believing the right things for the right reasons and came to the conclusion that it was all bullshit and that uh, there was no God, never had been. And so by definition, I became an atheist um, just because I didn't see any credible evidence of a God. So that's what makes an atheist. And um, so Lived that way uh, for several years, and then um, a few years after that, about four, a little over four years ago, I was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, a terminal disease with no treatment and no cure, given three to five years to live. I'm in, I'm in year five now, so I'm well ahead of the curve and still able to speak and walk somewhat, although I have limited use of my arms and hands and so things like that and shortly after that i began to do a thing called dying out loud which uh consisted of going on podcasts and youtube shows like this traveling and speaking at secular groups and conferences um and uh ended up writing my memoir which was released about a year and a half ago called childish things available on amazon and so on if you want to hear 12 and a half hours of this Southern draw. You can buy the audiobook book <laughs> uh, and get your fill of me. And then uh, earlier this year with some friends divide, decided to, uh, we've created a 501c3 nonprofit called I am dying out loud. And it, it, it exists to enhance the quality of life for people in healthcare, in dire healthcare situations or terminal illnesses to resist the, unwanted influence of religion in their healthcare process. Uh, and so that's, and then also to provide bucket list moments for people diagnosed with ALS. So that's brings me up to current date, uh, what I'm involved in. And I also have a, um, that's not all. I have a, a YouTube show on Tuesday nights on a channel called the line. And my show is called dying out loud. It's a call in show and we have guest hosts, and we take calls and people we talk about a lot about dying and death and healthcare issues and deconstructing faith and anything the caller wants to talk about. So that's what I'm doing. Well, man, what are I'm, you doing? Well, I, I, <laughs> I honestly, I'm sitting here just thinking, man, what a, what an honor. And I'm very grateful and thankful that, uh, you've taken the time to, to join me. Um, and I'm thankful that you've, uh, out, out, you know, you've made it, to the to the uh length of what they were saying was maybe the most and i you know uh that's just every day is a blessing i'm sure yeah every day is is um an additional day that i get to do what i think is important i i value life i cherish life um i'm with a wonderful partner that i love very much and i want to be here as long as i can and do as much as i can to make the most of the days that I have. I am all about quality of life rather than quantity of days though. And I'm, I'm very much in favor of uh, people with terminal diseases having options and choices 
to end life when it becomes untenable. Absolutely. Uh, in whatever ways that they can. And so I, I believe that we need to offer more options for people in my positions than we currently have in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Just, man, I have so many different questions now. Uh, just hearing, yeah. hearing more of your, your story. I'm curious, you know, my, my journey away from faith, you know, our connection, the reason that you and I are doing this podcast together is uh, Dr. Daryl Ray uh, came across his work. He came on the podcast and, and he said, I've, you've got to talk to Dave and told me just a paragraph of your story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because I also went charismatic background, grew up, you know, assembly of God, then moved over amongst like the word of faith, charismatic people went to the Kenneth Hagen school down in Tulsa and, you know, similar, similar journey. So let's get into it. Cause I have so many questions, especially just about all of it, but let me start with your religious journey. So what, yeah, what was kind of the thing that just sent you over? Like, I'm curious. Cause I, you know, that's what happened to me. Like I'm, you know, people, some Christians think I'm backslidden. I'm like, no, I'm not backslidden. I'm not coming back. Like, I can't tell you yeah. it. And, and I would think, you know, hearing your story, I, I have questions about that too, that whenever you got that prognosis, was there any temptation to, to turn back to that? Cause sometimes that's what people will do, right? They'll, they'll leave, yeah. they'll leave the faith and then some tragedy comes and then they, they come back. Um, I find that fascinating, especially now that I've left when I was a Christian, that made sense, right? Cause Christians mm-hmm. the right way. So they were leaving, they were wrong when they came back. Now they're right. Now that I don't see, now that I see like how you said it, it's just all bullshit. Now that I see it like that, I, I'm shocked when people go back. Cause I'm like, yeah. what, what, what is there back there outside of community? Um, I just don't see what the point is. I mean, I, I'm sure there's some, can be some benefit in like a placebo effect. Maybe, I don't know. Anyway. So what was the thing that tipped you over? Well, it wasn't, wasn't one thing. It was a series of unfortunate events. Um, I know there's to answer the other question. I never had a, a scintilla of notion of returning to faith once i diagnosed once i got diagnosed with als there was no sense you can't put the genie back in the bottle right right um but i i was caught up in the jesus movement of the 70s and transitioned my my faith evolved over the years um as a conservative evangelical i was on staff at several churches like i said and it was you know as the as christianity as evangelicalism evolved into more of a political movement as it is now back back in the 70s it was all about jesus and and saving people and loving people and and that was what attracted me to it um when it became the more majority in the 80s and 90s and it was political and it was about abortion and it was about uh not saying gay praying the gay away and things like that i um I followed along with that because that was the tribe the 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 herd was moving that direction and I was in the herd. So you, you move with it. And you, if you don't, you get ostracized and cut out and, and labeled as, as a problem, yeah. uh, which eventually is what I did, but it took a long time. And the God that I served all those years was a God that was involved. He was present. He answered prayer. He was, the God of the Bible. I believe the Bible was inerrant. I believe every word was inspired and true. And so if Jesus said it, I believed it. And, and so that was what I believed about a God that I served. It wasn't a distant God. It wasn't an, uh, an invisible God. Well, he's invisible, but he wasn't uninvolved. Right. He was very much, you know, it was very much a get up every day and listen for God's voice and follow his will and pray. And he will answer prayers. And over a lifetime of believing in a God like that and looking through the years and sifting through the debris of the fallout of life and seeing time after time after time, and this God that was supposed to be involved just wasn't. He wasn't there. He didn't come through. And by 2009-2010, when I was going through a, a difficult time with the church I was on staff with, and I some harder questions of this God 
and he was just silent. He was just not there. And I really kind of started to wake up and realize, wait a minute, he's not involved. He's not doing anything about this. He's never done anything about anything. He's, he's not there. I've been wrong. And it was just kind of a gradual awakening. Like what the hell is going on? This is not making sense. And it just didn't. And so it was a difficult conclusion to come to. And I didn't take it lightly. And it cost me a lot in terms of friends and family. When I let people know that I no longer believed in the God that they thought I did, I was no longer a Christian. That was um, a tough, tough transition for me. Yeah. Had, had any of those relationships with friends and family reestablished or have they just gone? Some have. I've still got a daughter that doesn't speak with me. I have two daughters and a son for a while. Both of my daughters cut me off. And my wife at the time cut her off as well because she stayed married to me as an atheist and they didn't think she should do that. Um, My son never cut us off. But um, since in the last couple of years, one of my daughters has reconnected with me and my son has always been good with me. So I've still got a daughter who doesn't want to have a relationship with me for as far as I understand, for the reasons that I'm rebelling against God and she wants me to return to God. And so she needs to keep her distance from me until I do that. I think that's the reason, but I'm not yeah. clear because she doesn't talk to me. Interesting. So your uh, wife stayed no problems. Was she on the fence anyway as well? No, she doubled down on her faith and it became over. We, we stayed married another five, six years after I deconverted. And it was just more and more problematic with living in two different worldviews, two different value systems. And um, so by 2016, uh, I'd come to the end of that and moved on from that. Yeah. Yeah, that can be tough. You know, I, my journey, it's funny that you say about, you were noticing there actually God wasn't near and wasn't close or wasn't doing anything. You know, it's wild how that confirmation bias works because when you're in it, it's like you assign <coughs> that to everything. You know, if, if, yeah. if it happens, then God answers your prayer. If it didn't happen, God was keeping you from something bad. You know, like yeah. it's always, it just doesn't matter what happens, which when I really looked at it, and this is where I have such a, where my mind just goes into tilt when I'm talking to an evangelical Christian and they'll say something like, I just know, I know that God exists. I feel him in my life. He's working in my life. I'm like, actually, no, (laughs) it's not like, and then I, I actually had this conversation recently with someone and I said that my life is better now that I'm not a Christian. I said, I'm more honest. I'm free. I actually am more moral. If you can believe that right to a Christian, I'm like, my life's more blessed, quote, quote, unquote, blessed, more fortunate. It's like, everything's better. (laughs) And their answer was, well, God still loves you, Timmy. (laughs) And he's so he's continuing to bless you. And I'm just like, Oh my goodness. That's just the most ridiculous thing. Cause you know, go say that to someone in a third world country that's starving and has no medical, no water. And it's like, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, because I'm the one saying and telling this person, no, I'm telling you I'm more peaceful, more calm. I life is way better now. Yeah. But they'll attribute that to, to God's spirit still in you, working with you and working on you. That's they can tell themselves that story because it still fits with the narrative that you're better with God than you are without him. Right. Um, and, and in fact, I've had people ask me about my ALS diagnosis as an atheist. What did, what would you think it would be like as a Christian? And, and my answer is very simple. It would have been much more difficult because as a Christian, you have to factor God into everything that happens. Right. So if I get diagnosed with ALS as a Christian, then I have to ask, what's going on here? Where is God in this? Is he going to heal me? Is he judging me? Is, is there some secret sin? Is this a test? And you, your mind does all these gymnastics to try to figure out 
where God is in the process. Yeah. Well, as an atheist, you don't have to figure that out. There is no God in, in any process. There is nothing. It's just random chaotic life. Excuse me. Life happens. And 5,000 people a year get diagnosed with ALS. And who am I to think I would not be one of them? I'm just a random person um, plucked out of the universe that got this diagnosis along with 5,000 other people, Christian and non-Christian, by the way. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and who am I to think I'm too special to get ALS? And as Christians, we think we're special. Right. And so when a Christian gets diagnosed with a deadly disease, there's something wrong in the universe. Something happened. There's right. got to be a reason for it because I'm too special for, for this to happen to me. And the arrogance of that is just, it's just numbing to me. It's just mind blowing. But that's really how you think because you're taught that. You're taught that the scripture teaches that, that you're the apple of God's eye before you were even formed in the womb. God had his hand on you and all that bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, man, that is fascinating. I had not really thought much about that particular worldview, but um, that's true. You know, as a, as a Christian, you thought, you were special and gifted and anointed and Holy Spirit was all that. So, and especially amongst the charismatic word of faith, um, which I don't oh, know if yeah. you're, I mean, there, you know, name it, claim well, I was, it. I dabbled in that for a few years. I was involved with Kenneth Copeland's and the Kenneth Hagans and the Jerry Savelle's and all the, you say it, believe it, confess it, believe it, all those things. You, you, you name your own reality based upon uh, confessing the word of God. And if you do that, just right it'll change reality and, you know it's just it's just obvious it doesn't happen that way right i mean we we believed all that shit back in those days and people that we prayed for still died people that you confessed and it, it just didn't happen like you said it was going to and and it's just bullshit but they just don't the cognitive dissonance like you said it's just it's mind-blowing it, it really is mind-blowing because as a pastor i spent 30 years um as a pastor, evangelical pastor, started out, you know, youth pastor like you do. Yeah. Um, last 20 years was when I was doing the senior pastor. But people, and this was, this just all of a sudden just was front right in my face like a mirror. People in the church and people out of the church have the same fucking experiences. People yeah. in the church are, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, going to prison, getting addictions, getting diseases. Their children are dying. Like they yeah. lose their jobs. They lose their house. They go bankrupt. They, you know, all these things are going on by those who confess Jesus and God and God's helping me. And I'm all that bullshit. <laughs> and it's like, you look at their lives and you're like, your life is literally no different than anyone else in the world yeah like it's there no, it's, it, it's, it's just true. the same it's the same and yet you say a, you speak a different reality and it's it's like the trump world today these people talk like they're living in a different reality like their world they're in a different universe than than the real world and that's kind of what that evangelical world that we were in that's what it was. It was just a different reality and the same things were happening. And yet they, um, they spoke of them as though it was something different. I had experiences I wrote about in my book. As I wrote my book, my memoir, it was like reliving all those things and, and bringing them back to life. And there were so many different times, even as a pastor or as just a Christian where things were happening around me, people, my best friend was killed. My my brother's daughter was killed in a car wreck. We had a church member uh, get burned in a big explosion at work, and the church was praying 24-7 for him for a whole summer, and he, then he died. And, and these things just happen because that's what happens in the world. Yeah. And uh, we just saw them through a different lens because we had to put a God lens on it. And as I wrote it, I remember thinking all those different years ago that I experienced these things, having these questions about why is God not coming through like I believe he's supposed to, and then and then stuffing that back down, those questions and those doubts, stuffing them back down and going on 
and just forgetting about it till the next thing happens. And I ask the question again. Yeah, it, I saw on, um, I think it was, um, uh, he's the physicist, um, his name skip a minor right now. It'll pop Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, the astrolog astrologist or whatever he is. Anyway, yeah. I'm messing up, messing up what his title is, but he said that uh, in his book, he wrote a book and there's a, there's just a paragraph that's so powerful. And he said that if there was some delineation, some difference between those of faith and those not of faith, he said, then he goes, I would consider that it's possible uh, that there's a supreme being involved. But he, right. but he said there is no difference. People, The people that died on 9-11, Christian, Muslim, atheist, uh, everybody. I mean, it was just there was it was babies, children, little kids, you know, infants, toddlers. Yeah. There, no there was no, and toddlers of Christians, toddlers of non-Christian. I mean, it, it was random. And, and in, in the book, he just said, if 9-11 had only killed people not of faith, or if you could study churches, which they have and realize that there is no difference, but you could study churches and like, wow, if, if you're a person of faith, you don't get a disease, you know, right. and, and there's a difference. Yeah. Right. right. There's a, there'd be a difference. And then, you know, I was listening to Joe Rogan of all people to say something like this. And I thought it was fascinating, but he was referring to the secret, the book, the secret. And I correlated it, of course, with the word of faith movement that I was a part of because they wanted, you know, health, wealth, prosperity. And he was saying that with a secret, he said that it's, yeah, the person that wrote the book is being financially, you know, uh, blessed through the book sales and all of that and through all that. But he said, you know, and you only hear from, you know, the YouTube channels are all those that are that succeed in that. He goes, mm-hmm. but how many don't succeed? He's like 98% of people that claim a blessing from the Lord and all of that are are not receiving any kind of a blessing from the Lord. I mean, I, I, I went to a word of faith school, like the word of faith school really in in America. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. And 100%, it was everyone at the top that was blessed and driving the nice cars, wearing the nice watches and, and, you know, it's like a multi-level, it's like an Amway thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, it really, it was like, yeah, all the people that everyone else underneath there, you know, they're struggling. And I went there. I, 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 my, I know I I had friends that were, you know, struggling to, to pay rent, to pay their mortgage, to pay their, their car insurance. And they struggled Mm -hmm. and struggled and struggled, but on every check, you know, they'd write some kind of little, you know, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich or, you know, they'd God put some, yeah, yeah, God is faithful. And, and, you know, he'll press down shaking together and running over. And, yeah. and yes, just like anything random. Yeah. If you apply yourself, you work hard, you, you know, you're diligent, you're honest, you're yeah. That will produce uh, a fine, a could produce a financial increase, but also there are people that do all those things and they're broke ass that can't do nothing. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a cognitive dissonance. You, you can frame it any way you want to and make the narrative say whatever you want it to say, but the results are still the same. Exactly. And there's a dishonesty there. Yeah. That's, that's the part that the cognitive dissonance that's, that's it's, you know, like you said, it's mind numbing. It's, uh, it's unbelievable, but I would have never thought it. Until yeah. I, you know, stepped away, it, you know, any, it, the, that's what's so interesting in, in having conversations with some of my evangelical friends, especially a few of them that, that are just dear, good friends. They're good people. I love them. Mm-hmm. They love me. You know, we didn't lose our friendship over me walking away from faith. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, you know, I got lucky uh, because they were, they were just good. I happen to have a few really good emotionally mature friends 
that are that are smart you know in light obviously i tease them and we're we're so honest with each other that you know they'll jokingly say well i know you're just deceived by the devil and i'm like yeah and i just know that you're ignorant and, and you're you know confirmation bias has got you sold out on this thing yeah um but i i just yeah i i can't my mind can't comprehend actually now that i'm away from it i'm almost shocked that that it is something that is believed now i consider myself agnostic because i say i don't know and i still you know i kind of believe in uh don't kind of believe in i do like you know meditation getting your mind right and all that kind of like sam harris type stuff so i consider myself a spiritual agnostic and and then someone says well do you you know so you're not an atheist said, well the i'm an atheist when it comes to the bible god like i know for sure that god doesn't exist you know i've read that bible and studied for, for all my entire life and clearly this is just not uh, not real. This is just man's attempt at trying to say what they think about God or what, what their experience was some 2000 years ago. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a human document. An agnostic atheist. I, I, I agree. Agnostic simply means we don't know, which I think we're all agnostics if we're honest. Yeah. But atheist to me is just the response to the God claim. And when someone claims there's a God of some kind, my response is I don't see enough evidence to to uh, ascribe to that. And so by definition, if I don't believe in the God, then I'm an atheist. To me, atheist doesn't mean I believe there's no God. It means oh, I don't believe in God. Thank you for that clarification. Because I I, I think that's what I thought atheist, I should know this, but you know, I'm five years new into all this. Well, everybody has their own definitions. I don't think there's a classic definition of what an atheist is. And some atheists will tell you, I believe there's no God. And I think that's, again, a statement of belief. And once you make a statement of belief, you have to back it up. Yes. And so when I say I don't believe there's a God, that's not a statement of belief. It's a negative statement. And so I'm comfortable saying that because I just don't see enough evidence to make a statement of belief. Yeah. So that's kind of where I've landed. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like I like that. So. So it started falling apart. Did you have conversations with, see, you said you worked at a church. Did you go to your pastor and said, hey, I think this is all bullshit? <laughs> no, I was on staff at a church, and the pastor was a little mercurial, uh, uh, narcissistic, uh, control freak. And I knew that before they brought me on staff. I was a volunteer, very active in the church, and then they made me a staff member, and they put me in charge of a satellite congregation back then. That was the church growth model. You just had one congregation, multiple satellite. Really? What? Church, Can you say uh, the church name or what? Uh, it was New Song Church in Nashville, right outside of Nashville. Okay. Um, but that went south. In, for, I, 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 I was managing or pastoring one of the satellite congregations, and I was growing it. It was growing very well, and I was a good pastor, but it didn't. I got crossways with the with the senior pastor, and he ended up um, firing me. And so, I was still a believer, and I went to a different church at that point. But I didn't. Uh, I, I started asking the questions then, because my daughters were uh, the men they were married to. They still are married to. Were in their in a student intern program at the at the church. You know, kind of in line to become pastors and they the pastor pretty much persuaded them to cut me off when they when he fired me because i was in rebellion against spiritual authority and all that nonsense gosh that's so, so fucked up gosh that's yeah, so was, fucked up it was a mess it was a mess and um so that kind of was the impetus that got me start to ask some questions about okay what's really going on here this is all political this is not god's not here god doesn't have my back because I was really serving them. I really was doing my best to to be a faithful Christian soldier. And I was doing well. Go ahead. Okay, cool. Anyway, that those those troubled times at that church 
were the impetus that got me to really examining my faith and what I believed and why and that sort of thing. Um, and as I dug in deeper and started really for the first time putting it on the table and I basically said, nothing's off the table. I'm going to question everything. Um, I'm looking at the Bible with a critical eye now and seeing, do these things, are these things matching up? And they weren't. And that's to me, the Bible was everything, the inerrancy of the word of God. Right. And when I saw that the Bible was not what I thought it was, I realized it was just a man-made book. It couldn't have been authored by any Holy Spirit. Uh, once that domino fell, then all the others fell pretty quickly. And it was just a matter of weeks. And I was just like, done. No, I don't, this is not, none of this makes sense. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah, I would say that for me, it, it I always had doubts. I think in, you can't, I don't think there's a Christian on the planet or has ever been alive that doesn't kind of in the back of your mind go, that sounds probably not if, if true. If they're honest, if right. they're honest. Right. Some of them aren't, let's just be real, some of them aren't honest. Right. Some of them will tell you, nope, I've never doubted a day in my life. Right. Jesus said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's right. And, and you can't do anything with them. No. They're just, there's, there's not honesty there. Right. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And and when that domino fell for me, yeah, it did start to topple pretty quickly when, when it, I just, there was this realization that, wait, this is not inerrant. This is not divine. Yeah. This is actually not true. This is, this is literally not true. And then, yeah, it, it all started collapsing at that point. You know, I, I often struggled with the, the big, the big, I'm curious what, how the, how you looked at this, even early on, I was a big supporter of, of gay marriage. And so that got me in trouble, obviously with the evangelicals, I was doing a thing called beer in the Bible, which I got a bunch of men to meet me at a bar and we, <laughs> I would teach the Bible and we'd all drink. And, yeah. you know, so I was pretty progressive, but I, I just, the whole idea of a Ted Bundy who was a pedophile and, you know, whatever, before he was killed, however he was, uh, however he died, electric hair, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, he gave his heart to Christ. And so, you know, that, that motherfucker is going to be in heaven, but yet a kind, caring, uh, Hindu grandma who's never heard a flea in all of her life, uh, is going to be burning in hell forever because she's, you know, was believed the wrong thing. And I just, yeah, that's that, actually, I'm, I'm working on a new book and, um, that's actually one of the chapters I've just been working on. It's it's essentially starts with the line, Anne Frank is in hell and Ted Bundy is in heaven. Right. And and then trying to unpack the dichotomy there that on the surface makes no sense. But if you're faithful to the evangelical theology, you have to acknowledge that that scenario is possible at least yeah and i've talked about this on different youtube shows and and people you know christians like to dodge it by saying well we don't know and frank may have prayed a prayer we don't know god's final choice but if you're true to the theology the theology says if you if you get right with god by praying the right prayers then you get to spend eternity in heaven no matter what you've done on this earth right. and if you don't accept jesus as your savior like Anne Frank most likely didn't as a Jewish teenager, then you're going to go to hell. That's the theology. I'm sorry, but that's the theology. Yeah. And if you're going to be faithful to what your theology says, you have to acknowledge that that scenario is, if not absolutely true, then completely possible. And if that's even remotely possible, you serve an asshole for God, period. Yeah. End of story, full stop. Yeah. Yes, 100%, you know, and I, I, I'm not sure uh, of all of Anne Frank's story, but remember that whole line of, I'm sure she reached the age of accountability. <laughs> yeah, you know, who, the, who decided that was a thing? That's yeah, not that's Bible. not in the Bible. <laughs> that's nowhere in the Bible. Is there anything remotely called the age of accountability? That's fucking bullshit. And yeah. the reason they made that up is because they couldn't countenance the idea of little children going to hell. Right. Right. So they give little children have a free pass 
until some magical age. See, isn't that funny? That all that is is because Christianity. I'm sure you've been around long enough to to have seen this too. I mean, I've seen it evolve big time. I mean, I remember oh, yeah. as a elementary student, the pastor saying that we shouldn't marry outside of our own race. That God wouldn't be pleased with that. Of course, you know, like you could never fucking say that today. Um, no, it's evolved. Yeah, 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 we've evolved. So when I think of that age of accountability, I'm like, all that is is yeah, Christians trying to evolve because it does make their God look like a piece of shit that he's going to yeah. send, you know, babies. Go right, yeah. but that's what that honestly that actually is more biblically accurate. That of course it is. Yeah, like you're, if you're born if you're born with a sin nature. And you have to be redeemed from that sin nature. If you're born a sinner and you have to be saved, then there has to be some way to account for a little baby who dies in the crib from sudden infant syndrome. So does that baby go to hell? Well, no, no. They weren't old enough to understand it. So they have to give an excuse for this horrible theological idea. Yes. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, I, I had a conversation with one of my evangelical friends on my podcast and I just was throwing some of the, the things that tipped me over and I brought up the whole suffering thing. And I'm like, if God yeah. is all powerful, all knowing and benevolent, there's nothing he can't do. Um, why would a children, why do children suffer, suffer needlessly at the hands of, of just whatever it's just random and starving children or children that are abused it's one thing if you know if you get yourself in trouble if you go knock off a quick trip and get in prison well i don't have any sympathy for you you put yourself there but children children are just innocent and if i was god the fact that if i was god and i could do anything that's one thing i would just quickly do Yeah, children all have clean water and clean food and good parents. That's it, and not brain brain cancer and leukemia at you know young ages. Right, and the fact that when you look at that on the surface and realize I'm I'm more moral than God, then why am I serving this God? If I've if I've got the ability to do something about that, if I've got the if I walk by a house and I see a a, a little girl being abducted and raped. And I don't step in and intervene, and I've got the ability to at least try to stop it, and I don't. Well, this God that's supposedly watching everything everywhere is seeing that happen. Right. Why does he not stop in and stop it? Well, free will. (laughs) Free will, man. Well, what about the free will of the little girl? Right. Anyway, that well, no, yeah. I that you're you're preaching to the choir. That's 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 exactly uh, my thought. And when I think of th- free will, that's another stump. I've I've noticed that Christians don't know what to do with when they talk about free will. It's God given, which is ironic in and of itself. Um, but then in heaven, you definitely don't have free will. Exactly, because you can't sin, you can't cry, you can't. Apparently, you can't get married and fuck. You can't do any of that shit, which doesn't sound enjoyable uh, at all. No, uh, not for all eternity. No, not for all eternity. You mean I got to be sexless for the rest of my life? Hell no. <laughs> and I'm gonna be in the best shape of my life. <laughs> I'm gonna be in the prime of my life forever. You know, I remember I was a part of some pretty goofy churches growing up. And, you know, I remember some of the silly things they would teach. One is that when you died and went to heaven, you were 33 because that's when Jesus died. (laughs) Yeah. That you're you're 30. So, so everybody's 33 in heaven. And I'm thinking, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be 33 in heaven. I'm in the best fucking shape of my life. I'm the prettiest I've ever been. And I can't, and I've got more testosterone than I've ever had in my life. And I can't have sex (laughs) for the rest of my fucking life. Oh my God. That does not sound like heaven at all. What Solomon would think of that. He like had a thousand concubines. He had (laughs) it. different woman every night and he's in heaven now and looking around going away what whoa he's better on earth what the hell well dave that was the old testament that was a different god a different time (laughs) Uh, it's wild um 
Well, let me, so let's, let's, I want to move over. I know you don't have, uh, we got about what, 30 more minutes, I think, uh, or close to it. Um, so what's, what's the journey been like over the last five years, like emotionally, um, at the news of the diagnosis, like what's that do to your, your thoughts and your emotions and like, how did that go? It's, it's been a roller coaster. Um, the irony is that, you know, I've, I've got this huge platform now that I'm grateful for with the dying out loud reach that I've been able to connect. And I, I get to speak at these conferences and, and I have, a lot of followers and a lot of listeners and people reach out to me. Um, I get emails uh, almost daily of people who've tell me they've been impacted and inspired by what I've been saying and doing. And I'm really, it's been the most rewarding four years of my life, honestly, because I feel like I'm really making a difference in the lives of people at a, at a, at a level that really matters. Yeah, you know the the hard stuff of life, the living and dying stuff, the the life we're now stuck in. the The reality is, we're all we have two things in common. Uh, every human on the planet. One is we've been born because we're here, and two is we're going to die. Every single person on the planet is going to die. Yeah. Christianity minimizes that and says that it's just a comma. It's just a, an abbreviation, and then you're in, in eternal life or death. And so they minimize the the, the one life we do know we have. Which that's um, just fascinating, isn't it? How how that yeah. that that's so twisted in their brain that even to suffer here is like a reward. Yeah, that's so and, fucked up. And they live in the, they live in the denial of death and the fear of death, and I've seen that over and over with Christians, but. What that's done for me is it's allowed me to focus on the days that I have left in a way that I wasn't doing before and in a way that common everyday life doesn't really afford us. We, we don't think about our mortality on a daily basis. We don't think about the fact that my days are limited and I need, I need to make the most of them. I need to grab the moments that are in front of me and make sure I'm not missing anything. That's what Dying Out Loud has talked about for the last four years. That's that's what I've been doing. And I've been hearing from countless people literally around the world that have been impacted by that message. That's incredibly gratifying to get to do that. Yeah. The, the paradox of that is that I wouldn't have gotten to do all that if I hadn't been diagnosed with ALS. Right. I was just another deconstructed Christian another ex-pastor. I mean, we're a fucking dime a dozen. Right. And, and the getting the diagnosed with this terminal illness has given me a megaphone that I've been able to pick up and use and speak these things to people's lives that they tend to pay more attention to because I have a terminal illness. Yeah. So that has been a rewarding chapter of my life. But, I do wake up every day and I still have ALS and I feel it and life is getting harder and I know the end is coming. And for my partner, Bevan and I, it's the reality that we live with. Um, and so as the muscles fade, as my body de deteriorates, I am, am realizing that, you know, this is, this is winding up. Yeah. So I have to balance what I do every day against what it costs me to do every day right? and how taxing physically it is. Um, I schedule, I tend to uh, chronically overschedule myself <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll have, like I had to cancel a, I was speaking at a conference in St. Louis a couple of weeks ago and it just, I right up to the wire. It was just obvious. It was going to be too difficult for us to get there. And I had to cancel it, and I really felt bad about it. But it's just I'm I'm having to face the realities of my predicament, and and that's what I tell people when you schedule me: be aware that I have extenuating circumstances, and I will make every effort to to fulfill my obligations. But 
there's an unpredictability with this that is the reality I live with. And so be aware that things don't go as planned always. And so that's just the mix that I live with. Um, It's, it's tough. Uh, It's, it's a tough disease. I've lost, I've gotten to know friends with it that I've lost and it's tough to see that. Um, But I do, I am grateful for the platform it's given me and the, rewarding part of getting to touch people's lives in at the most basic place where they live. So I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have traded it. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have changed the thing. I don't want to, I'm, I'm going to die. We're all going to die. We're all terminal and I'm, I'm going to die sooner than I would have wanted to. But I think it's probably not a terrible trade off. If you can understand what I'm saying. Sure. Most people don't get a platform like this. That's just the brutal truth. Right. So if I've got to die, then I might as well leave something behind that's got some substance to it. And I don't think I would have left as much behind if I'd have just gone on with the life I was living. Um, So I'm taking the good with the bad and making the most of it. Yeah. I guess you could say. And I would wonder, and this is just, this may be the ignorant an ignorant thing that I'm saying, but I would also think that because of the diagnosis and the knowing you, you have the opportunity to, to put into each day, maybe differently had, you know, when people just get in a car accident and just die and boom, you know, and and one second, one minute they're here, the next minute they're gone. There's no goodbyes. There's no bucket list. There's no, you know, it's just done. Yeah. We've, we've been doing the bucket list thing. I've done some things that I would have put off and didn't do. And and so that's been rewarding. And, and I do have an awareness of uh, diminishing time and opportunity. And so I do try to make the most of every day and not, not waste days, not waste time on frivolous, but I do frivolous things too. Sure. I mean, I'm not driven to do things. I, I have a work-life balance, but I, you know, the, I retired obviously from working cause I couldn't work anymore, but, um, it's kind of funny when I got diagnosed with ALS and retired, I kind of became busier than I ever was in my life before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of weird. Can, can I ask you what, what was the symptom that caused you to go to the doctor to then find this out? You have to read my book, Timmy. Come I know. On, I do need to read your book. I really do. I'm I'm going to order it. When we get off this podcast, I'll order it. I'm sure it's on you Amazon. Know, Daryl Ray. Daryl Ray wrote. I'll answer that question in a minute. But we talked. We started by talking about Dr. Daryl Ray, who's really become a dear friend. But uh, I asked him to to write. I I sent out manuscripts to several people. Seth Andrews is one too. To ask him to write a blurb for me, you know. Um, if you like it, please write a blurb. If you didn't like it, please just keep it to yourself. <laughs> uh, and I'll get someone else. <laughs> and uh, so I'm going to just shamelessly plug my book. But Daryl oh, should. Yeah, I do. He said, he said, he said, I'm going to be honest. You know, I'm honest, Dave. I'll tell you what I think. And I said, I know I want that. But, you know, so anyway, I sent it to him and I was kind of holding my breath because I knew Daryl would be honest. He would, you know, he'd say something like, well, Dave, you know, don't keep, don't, don't quit your day job, brother. <laughs> um, but he called me uh, several days later, not, not long. I knew, I knew when he called, I knew that he had read it pretty quickly, like in maybe three days. Um, and it's not a short book, so that's a pretty quick read, but he called me and he said, are you, re- are you, are you ready for a phone call from a fan? and i said what do you mean he said i love your book it's amazing dave well done brother so he was effusive in his praise but um back to the answer to your question the symptoms started fairly innocuously i i was in i was doing insurance and i was filling out a lot of forms daily and I started noticing that certain letters and numbers were hard for me to form, like zeros and eights. And my fingers were giving me trouble, and I was having trouble opening packages and buttoning buttons and 
And so I thought something's wrong with my fingers. And I thought carpal tunnel syndrome or I'm just getting weak. I need to work out more. And, you know, because I'm in my early 60s by then. And I'm thinking, oh, something's breaking down here. And I didn't know what. But it took me. I started going to doctors. I waited. Actually, I had symptoms for quite a few months in 28, uh, 2018. And then because of our insurance system in this country and a high deductible, I thought, well, let me just wait till January. And because I just intuitively knew that once I went to a doctor, they would refer me to get tests and MRIs and CAT scans and all the things. And sure enough, that's what they did. Uh, but, by the time I, between the time I had my first symptom and the time I got diagnosed, it was a period of seven or eight months. And more and more things started happening that caused me to realize something was really wrong. And then, you know, the internet's our best friend and worst enemy. So right. I was uh, Googling different symptoms and what, what it could have been. And I knew ALS was very much on the table as one of the options. And, Kind of by the time I got the final diagnosis, I kind of had come to the conclusion that was probably what it was. And um, so that was that was that. Yeah. Now, is this something that runs in your family or? No. So just no, it's that- completely it's completely random. Um, there's two. There's basically two kinds of ALS. One is genetic. You can have a genetic a gene. That's about 5% of ALS patients are that. The rest of us are what they call sporadic, which is just random. There's no connection. There's no commonality. That's what they can't, they can't figure out what causes it. Therefore, they can't figure out a cure. And because it's so random and sporadic that they, they can't put anything together to find any common denominators. And so it's just a big guesswork. And this is the one, and I'm not very, I mean, I'm somewhat familiar because there's someone that's famous, I think that, that has ALS and they've talked about it, but it's, it's muscle, your muscles start. Yeah. It's a motor neuron disease. Um, Essentially it's your, it's not your muscles, it's your nerves. Oh, your nerves. The nerves quit communicating with the muscles. Okay. So when your brain, when you decide you want to pick up that coffee cup, when your brain says, pick up the cup it sends a signal to the to the nerves that control the muscles in the hand that you're going to use to pick that cup up and there's a breakdown in communication the nerves are basically saying fuck you i don't want to pick that cup up and and so the muscles just don't respond it's just like we didn't get the signal nobody told us to pick that cup up so i can be sitting there with my brain saying pick that cup up and there's not even a you know, when you're trying to pick up something that's too heavy, you'll have a strain. Sure. You're straining, your muscles are straining, and there's just not enough strength to pick it up. But there's no straining with mine because the, the muscles aren't even getting the signal. They're just out to, out to lunch. Interesting. So, so it's like you of, could be telling your hand to do it, but it's just not doing it. Yeah, just not responding. So that's, you know, that in layman terms, that's what's happening. Yeah. Um. Bucket list. What? What's? And then I got another c- couple questions before we finish it up. The um, what's the best bucket list you've accomplished so far? One of your bucket list items, rather. Well, we've traveled to Europe. We, Bevan and I, have both been to Europe separately, but we hadn't been together. And we, had, I actually had speaking engagements scheduled over there back in 2020, and COVID canceled all those. We had two different trips we had to cancel that we're going to one was to Amsterdam one was to Italy and we canceled them but we finally got over there last year um and uh, that was that was pretty special um went skydiving oh my gosh <laughs> uh, I wouldn't I would, I would never do that <laughs> yeah it was it was pretty great I'm not afraid of heights so it was it was pretty special um, we flew in a helicopter over the Grand Canyon. Um, we went scuba diving. I went to this this ALS organization called Team Gleason. I got a grant from them to go on a scu- adaptive scuba diving trip to Hawaii. 
That's and cool. they paid for it all. And um, a bonus to that was there were two bonuses. They they let me jump out of a helicopter into the ocean. Wow. Um, not from super high, like 20 feet. But still, but still was, that's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And um, and then when we were diving, we got into water. After we'd been down there for about 20 minutes, we are about 60 feet deep. And um, one of the uh, attendants brought uh, an octopus they had caught. And so I uh, got to play with an octopus for about 15 or 20 minutes and held it on my hand. And he clinged. He wrapped his tentacles around my arm and we looked at each other and bonded. And then he inked me a couple of times. <laughs> and uh, it was a pretty mind blowing experience um, just to have that moment. Um, and so I've written about that and I've got pictures of that on my platforms and stuff. So those are some pretty significant ones. There's still places I would like to see. I don't know that I'll get to them. Um, I don't know that there's a lot left that I'm aching to do um, or, or go, but you know, I've, I've been able to check off some pretty powerful moments and that's been special. Yeah. Now does the mind stay intact? It's, it's just, yeah. yeah. That's the trouble. You're, you're trapped in a body that's, you're basically a sharp mind in a, in, in a prison of your, of a, of a dying body. Um, so that's the, the terror of it is that you are totally aware of what's going on, but you're not able to do anything about it. Now, would you still be able to speak or is that even can be challenged? That will, that will go. That will be the last to go okay. uh, for me based on my progression. Mine has progressed from my hands and arms to my legs. I'm getting weaker in my legs and, um, it's getting more difficult to walk. And so we're using a wheelchair more. But gradually, it'll move up my body to my uh, throat area. I won't be able to eat, and I won't be able to breathe and speak. Uh, my speech will become slurred. And um, and then that's what eventually kills you. Your diaphragm quits working, and then you can't breathe. Right. So I'll have to decide how long I want to go and then what steps I'll take to end things before it gets to a place I'm not comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah, I remember talking to my grandpa when when he passed. His mind was sharp as a tack, um, mm -hmm. but his you know his bodies, his kidneys. I mean, everything just started you know shutting down, and it just wouldn't. But but you know he he could still think, and he at that he could still talk and everything. It until the of course, yeah. until the very end. But because uh, I remember asking him, I said, you know what what's tough about this? You know, I'm just, you know, hanging out with him. And he said, yeah, he said, you know, it's, it's, uh, my mind in my mind, I can do it all. <laughs> he said, but then I, but then my body, you know, yeah. Won't, won't and that's follow. the tough thing with, with me and the people around me that love me, like my family and my partner, Bevan, who's fabulous and dear friends who care for me. We have, I have friends here taking care of me right now because Bevan went to see her daughter for a few days. And so, I have to have someone come in and be with me. And we just have the kind of friends that will come. I mean, they came from other parts of the country to, wow. uh, to be with me. And we've, we've had that and we have that in our lives. So what I'm aware of is that, you know, my death, which is, is, is coming. I mean, we're all aware of it. Yep. My death will be in some ways harder on those around me than it is on me. Right. Uh, I'm super aware of that because I will simply go to sleep and not wake up yeah. and they will wake up the next day and I won't be there. Right. And that's tough. That's tough to consider. Um, I heard Stephen Colbert ask Keanu Reeves for some reason, talk show. And I don't know why I asked this question, but it was kind of a gotcha question. I think I'm sure philosopher, I think, but um, Colbert asked him, he said, what do you think happens after we die? And Keanu paused a minute and he says, well, I know that those who love us will miss us. Yeah. That's it. Yep. That's, that's what's true. Yep. What, what happens physiologically and philosophically after I cross over, after I close my eyes and go to sleep is we don't know. 
Right. We don't know what's beyond the grave because no one's been there to come back, regardless of what the little books say in the Christian bookstores. Um, but what we do know is that people who were loving us and and enjoying our presence will no longer have that. And that's yeah. really what's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I was having a, a conversation and my, my family's still, um, not my kids, but my, uh, my parents, they're still evangelical Christians. And one time they were saying something about heaven that, you know, that it's a reality, it, it, you know, it, I know it exists and everything, mm-hmm. which is always, I just have to breathe deep. It doesn't trigger me like it used to early on. Now where I've landed, I'm, it's just like, yeah, it's just what they believe, you know? Yep. Uh, just let them say it. Yeah. I'm like, let them believe that. But what's so funny is they, you know, they use the word no, which I did challenge them on that. And I said, well, you don't know that you, mm-hmm. be, you believe that. Uh, mm-hmm. If it was knowable, then we'd all know it, but it's not knowable. It's, it's something that you believe and that's fine. It's a free world. You can believe whatever the hell you want to believe. Right. Um, but that's just, what's so interesting is, is I remember being a Christian. I was so certain of something that you cannot at all be certain of. No, <laughs> like you can't. There's zero evidence. Of course, what they say is the Bible is the evidence, you know, that's, that's the evidence. And it's just, yeah. Like, Whatever. no, it's actually, yeah, I'm like, no, it's not, like, not at all. I, in fact, another conversation I was having with a, uh, a friend of mine, he said something about there's overwhelming, there's an overwhelming amount of historical evidence for, you know, the, the resurrection and for the crucifixion and for all that, which I'm like, well, I mean, I believe Jesus, I'm kind of with Bart Ehrman, you know, I'm like, well, Jesus probably did exist and was a rabbi and probably was crucified. Um, right. But it's like, <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> like, you can't, humans don't have babies without sex. So you can't be exactly. a, a real virgin and have a baby. You you can't resurrect. You can't, like, there's just so many different things that I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, they don't have, the evidence they have for that is ridiculous. There's not evidence. Right. I was no. watching the the Titanic, uh, a documentary on the Titanic, and there was just mm-hmm. one little line that they said when they were doing all the research with all the passengers that survived, the ones that survived. Mm-hmm. And I forget, I mean, that, that he showed this stack. I mean, it was like a five foot tall stack of 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 typed out conversations and everything that the Titanic survivors said, mm-hmm. and all of them describe it differently. And oh, really? That, yeah. yeah. And then there was things that they said that actually didn't happen that other passengers said was something else. And it was just interesting to me how that's so part and parcel to the, to the Christian story. You know, they believe that it's, you know, the word of God and it's, you know, all the stuff, you know, you right. used to believe all that. But when you think about how many years after the fact, this was happening. These weren't actually yep. eyewitnesses. So the Titanic can't even come up with the, <laughs> they were eyewitnesses to the same sinking ship in modern times. Yet all their stories and testimonies are different. And you really had to try to piece it together to figure out what possibly was the truth. But there mm-hmm. was the, Anyway, is that am I making sense? You know, it's just it when I correlated oh, yeah. that to that's, the that's the problem. If that's the thing I've said many times, we're talking about the most important message humanity's ever been given the 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 secrets to life and death, eternal life and eternal death, and it's 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 such an important, pivotal message, and yet when Jesus was delivering those words, nobody's taking notes, nobody's. God decides to send Jesus in a time of mostly illiteracy and nobody's recording anything. And yet this was the most important message. It makes no sense. Well, plus what Christopher Hitchens says, which I just found this to be compelling. So let's say, I mean, human history goes, obviously evolution. I mean, goes way, 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 way back, but Modern modern humans, three hundred thousand years, maybe maybe a hundred thousand. He said, "Let's be generous, or let's be kind. Let's just say a hundred thousand. So for ninety eight thousand years, this God right. just stood, arms crossed, watching yeah. women die in childbirth needlessly, 
and didn't think to say, Hey guys, wash your hands before you deliver a baby. Exactly. I mean, some simple shit like that. Yeah. It, it just, it, it crumbles. If the question, I, I forget who it was that I was watching some debates and I thought to myself, cause the, the moderator asked this question and posed some questions. Um, what, if anything would, you know, change your mind. And they asked the atheist this and he said, evidence, like evidence, yeah. you know, evidence would change my mind. That's simple. And that's simple. And then to the, to this Christian creationist, he said, what would change your mind? And he said, absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing would change his belief, which then my mind went straight to the, the whole idea of a flat earth. So you're telling me if you were of that, you, you believe the earth is flat, but if I showed you satellite video, video photographs, if I showed you, if I took nothing. you up in a spaceship so you could see it for yourself, you're still not going to believe it. All right. I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't admit to that. <laughs> that, that makes yeah, you sound so just, ignorant. You're just you're just revealing your ignorance, and that's not a good look. No. Well, my bladder still works, and I got to go pee. I was just gonna say, oh. listen, Dave. I, I I've uh, gone the full time. I really, really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk to you. Real quick, how can people stay in touch with you or find out more about you? What's your links, your social media, and the title of your book? The title of the book is Childish Things, a Memoir by Dave Warnock. It's on Amazon. You can find it there. If anyone wants a signed copy, they can email me at daveoutloud at gmail.com. We do that uh, per request. Um, My personal uh, contact is daveoutloud.org. That's the website for all my stuff, my speaking stuff. Uh, stuff, uh, the Dying Out Loud stuff, and then the new organization is IamDyingOutLoud.org and links to either are on both, so you can find me that way. And all my platforms, Twitter, um, whatever I do, Facebook, you can, if you just Google Dave Warnock Dying Out Loud, you'll have hours of recreational pleasure <laughs> to read and view. So, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm out there everywhere. I love it. Well, Truly an honor, truly a privilege. Uh, thank you for taking the time out to uh, speak to My me pleasure. and, and uh, telling your story. Have a good one, brother. Keep doing good work, man. Yeah, thank you. Jim. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye.